Folgerpod. Folgerpod. A podcast from the Friends of Georgia Radio. So she goes to the Northside School for Performing Arts and decides she wants to be a singer and an actress. Then she goes to Emory, majors in English. Then she goes to California to visit her brother. He sends her around a radio station. She cuts a tape, gets a job, comes back to Atlanta, and spends 40 years doing drive-time radio in her hometown. That's Katie Kiley's story, and she's next. This is Kelly McCoy. Find out more about us at friendsofgeorgiaradio.org. Click on Georgia Radio History for historic audio and pictures from great stations across our state. Then become a member to help us celebrate and support the future of radio and audio media here in Georgia. Our guest is a member of the Georgia Radio Hall of Fame, and this woman has been doing drive-time radio in Atlanta for 40 years. Hi, Katie Kiley. Oh, my gosh. When you say that, that's just kind of mind-boggling and blowing. But yeah, how are you? I'm great. Yeah, 40 years is a little scary, number one, just to tick those years off. But then number two, do you have any idea how crazy that is that you got to stay in one market for that line? Drive-time. Do you know? I I do know. I do every day. I am thankful for it and I'm not tired of it. And I love the listeners. I love what I do. I love that um, I've been able to do it most of my adult life. So, yeah, here's to a few more years and then maybe some more. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're with you. So uh, and, and you are one of the premier air talents in, in this city and one of the best known. And I'm just delighted to have this opportunity to talk to you, you and I have actually crossed microphones we've been at, at two of the three same uh, stations in atlanta and yet we never work together no not at the same time but i know so much about you and people that i love in this business adore you so oh. i'm sorry that we've never had the chance but you never know that still could change that's well, happened with me and a few people katie here we are we're working together now yeah we are yeah. now thank you and thanks to you so i you know i want to talk about how you got started in radio, because you're a kid in Atlanta when 96 Rock flipped to classic rock. Now, was that your music at, at that time? Was that the station you grew up listening to? It is. That's what's so funny. I, I think there was an age where we moved here when I was in going from fifth to sixth grade. And that was a little more poppy. But I had older brothers. I have four brothers and my older brothers, one of them was a real rocker. I mean, it was like, I, I can still remember the Steppenwolf album with a big wolf head on it, you know, and just being like, Ooh, and um, love the Beatles from him and the stones and, and uh, actually some more in-depth stuff too, like iron butterfly and, you know, things like that. Um, but when I was in kind of, I think it was eighth grade. I was at St. Joseph's high school. I don't know if you remember where that was downtown. And yeah. um, I was there for eighth and ninth grade, I think. And I discovered Led Zeppelin on my own kind of like it was around the time houses of the Holy came out. It was like, I remember listening to that over and over. And then I go back to Zoso and I'm checking that out. And it's like, I just sort of had this discovery that my brothers didn't introduce me to. And that was Led Zeppelin. Then of course I find the radio station that plays it because I was listening before that to the pop stuff. You know, when you're a kid, that, that music from the 70s was the greatest stuff. We moved here in 1970 and it was Gary McKee in the morning. And that's what I was listening to. I can remember, you know, just moments of um, he with the Levitt and him with the Levitt and Willis the Guard and all that. And I just love, love, loved it. But then I discovered real rock and roll and it was 96 rock for sure. Yeah. 
And when you're going through high school, when did the radio bug bite you? When did you decide you want to do it? This is kind of embarrassing because I know so many people that have loved radio their whole lives. I had no idea until I got out of, uh, well, no, I was still in college because my mentor is Monica Pearson, who is Monica Kaufman at the time. And I was, let's see, I, you know, I was an English major at Emory. I thought I wanted to sing, dance, act. That's kind of what I had done in high school. I was in the School of Performing Arts at Northside High School. And that I, that bug just bit me hard. And so that's what I thought I'd do. And then I had a brother that was doing that in New York. And I went to go visit him. And the, we were, I was like sleeping on the floor. And we were riding the subway. And people were like, you know, having issues on the subway. And I was like, pretty young going, whoa, is this really what I want for my life? And he was as happy as a clam acting in New York, living like that. And I thought, no, I got to do something to make money. So enter Monica Kaufman, my senior year at Emory. And she was my mentor. I did an internship. And at the time, Emory had no communications department. And uh, I got to create my own internship through the English department. And I was involved at the time with Catholic communications because um, Christ the King is our parish. And so I got to know some of those people and they invited me to write for the newspaper and do some radio things. And I met her at the radio station at the time. And she took me under her wing. I still think about that. And I'm like, what a gracious, amazing woman. You know, this is when she was really rising to the top and her background was radio. And she said, if you, you know, you're thinking about television, maybe or whatever, she said, I'm going to suggest you start in radio because there's so few women in radio in key positions and she said, just just do it, you know, and, and, and as a stepping stone, maybe to television. And when I got in radio, I was like, there's no way I'd want to do anything else ever. I was just like, this is it. This is it. This is it. And I've had friends that have done television and you'll go out with them. At, you know, at the time, it might seem kind of cool, but you'll go out to lunch or dinner. And like Jeff Hollinger is a perfect example. And and everybody's screaming and talking to him and running up and touching him. And, and I just thought, wow, this guy doesn't get a second, you know, and he loves it too. He's so gracious and good to his people, but it's the radio. There's just something about being able to have that theater of the mind. And, and it's changed a lot now. Like you and I are sitting here talking like this. Now everybody knows what I look like, you know, it's and back then you could go to work in your pajamas and nobody knew what you looked like. It was all about how you sounded, the voices you made, the way you made people feel just from your voice and your emotions. It just bit me like crazy. And I have not stopped since. So that's how I got started. We, we, all, we all did come in a bunch of times looking like hell, right? Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can think of some nights that I didn't go to sleep, you know, but and I'm doing afternoon drive. So that's like, wow, what excuse do you have not to sleep, you know, but. So tell me, how did you get to 96 Rock? I mean, had you graduated from Emory by then? What? I did. I graduated and my brother was living, my oldest brother was living in Southern California at the time. And he said, why don't you come out for the summer and see if you can get a job in radio? Just give it a try. And it was Ventura. It was Southern California. And literally, I don't even know this guy's name. I still can't believe I don't know his name because I would love to thank him profusely. I met him at a radio station. I was literally knocking on doors and he said, you need an air check. And this guy sat with me for hours. I don't even know why he did. 
but he sat with me for hours to give me an air check that I could take around to Ventura. And I got a gig because somebody knew, uh, the PD knew about Emory University, which at the time, this was back in 1981. So Emory wasn't the you know, it was kind of up and coming, to be honest with you. And he knew about Emory and he was like, what is a girl that graduated from Emory doing here trying to get into radio? And I was like, well, I don't know yet. Then so they hired me and I started doing uh, traffic and continuity. Then they let me do afternoon drive sports. And that's when the Braves, that's when Joe Torrey, they had that huge winning streak, remember? And I was so excited. So uh, here I am in Southern California with my Southern accent, just talking about the Braves all the time. And um, then they put me on middays. They said, okay, she's ready to go on the air. And then boom, I went to afternoons and was there for about a year and a half. And then got very homesick and came home. Uh, Then 96 Rock, of course, I love rock and roll. and, And the radio station in Ventura was rock. And um, they had no females on the air at the time. So that's how I approached the PD there. And I was like, hey, you know, you need a girl on the air. Like, what do guys love listening to more than a girl, right? So that kind of got my foot in the door and went from um, weekends to doing the uh, sidekick in the morning with Mark McCain and Steve Mitchell. Oh, wow. And yeah, I did that and then went to middays. And all within the year, I was then doing afternoon drive, which I stayed for 15 years doing that. Who was the PD that hired you? Alan Sneed. Sneed. No yeah. kidding. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And Mark and Steve were doing, well, it was Barry and Mitchell. Then it was Mark and Steve. And, it, and John Boy was there and Willard. And it was just, it was a very, very special group of, of guys that really, again, if you don't have people that kind of take you under their wing and protect you a little bit. Um, I feel sorry for you because you'd have a really rough time. And these guys were so generous and so giving and really wanted me to succeed. They were just awesome. And then they also gave me a hard time about certain things too. I, one of my favorite stories, I don't even know if I should tell the story, but I might as well was, um, and you've got to understand, I mean, I did have four brothers, but they were really protective of me. So, and I, I'm a Catholic girl and that's it. Okay. Yeah. In rock and roll. And so Willard came on after me. This is when uh, he was doing seven to midnight. And so he gets, and we would cross over on the mics and we would talk a lot. Like our boss would kind of come in and be like, okay, you need to cut that crossover down. But Willard had the color of the day. Should I even say this, Dennis? Sure. Are you sure? Sure. I, I can edit. Okay. So Willard comes on and he goes, <laughs> The color of the day is wet, willy, wild, poontang, pink. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I'm like listening and I go, what is poontang? Okay. And Willard just, I saw the look on his face. I was like, that is not the right thing to have asked him at this moment. My boss, the door peels open and he's like, get those mics off. I had friends that say they drove off the road. It was so innocent. That's the only reason why I could still say the word is because I never knew that's what it meant. Oh. I knew about the Ted Nugent song. I, you know, but I, I don't know if it's a Southern thing or what, but I can. And you were live. I was. The live. whole thing was live. Right. Oh, but, geez. but everybody knew I had, I, it wasn't like a joke. I really didn't know what it right. was. And right. then Willard was just like, why don't you turn off your mic and we'll talk about it, you know? <laughs> But that kind of stuff, they were just razzing me all the time. Well, and and that's kind of an interesting thing because, number one, you're one of the few females, if uh, I don't remember who else was on back then, but you're also on a rock station. So there's this kind of rock chick thing uh, that people maybe sort of expect from you when you're playing that music. That's right. How did I mean, you're a, a good Catholic girl. 
you know, <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden you got to be a rock chick. I mean, you know, well, I think the thing is, is that it's it was very genuine. My love for the music was super genuine. It still is. It's like I love it so much. And that's the thing you share. So there's nothing to be. Um, and I know what you're saying. There were girls that I worked with that would, you know, wear their uh, lingerie or, you know, whatever it is. And be really, there was one girl, Jules. Oh my God, this girl is so beautiful. And um, ZZ Top, they wrote that song Legs about Jules. This girl is just gorgeous. I could never be Jules. Her legs are like from here to the ceiling, you know, and she could, she wore it well and all that. But I'm just, I was just like fine in my blue jeans and my 96 rock shirts or, you know, I can dress up too. It's not like I was anything to be horribly embarrassed about, but I just, I, I loved the music so much. And that's probably why radio is also very helpful. It's kind of like that TV show, The Voice, you know, you're, you get chosen without people looking at your face or seeing that you're, you don't have boobs up to here and you're, you know, it's, it's very interesting. It's that whole, again, theater of the mind thing. And I don't think I came across as very sexy either. I think I just came across as I love to have a great time and I love to interview the rockers. The rockers always loved coming in. I mean, seriously, they, they weren't, um, looking at me and going, oh my God, this is like some, you know, they were coming in going, this girl loves, she knows my music. She loves this. This is great to talk about it. So, it, you know, it just, it's just your interest. And we now, share that with the listeners. We, we talked about uh, two or three stories that you had in your mind as being great rock story or great radio stories. I'm wondering if one of those has to do with one of your interviewees. Guys, oh, tell me, who is it? This one is the this is the craziest thing I think. Wait till you hear this. Okay, I'm calling this. Is this my my headline? This is your headline. My headline is that time sixty minutes called. Okay, so are you a fan of sixty minutes? Or I I really was great show. um, Yeah, when it was really big, Mm. and I was interviewing Little Feet. And Little Feet had just gotten back together. I love them always. I love playing guitar. And so the kind of stuff I'd play would be Little Feet or Simon and Garfunkel, you know, going a little bit softer. I didn't play electric guitar. I played acoustic. And I love Little Feet. And I got to see them when they reunited for the first time after Paul Barrera died. And it was on the, um, not Paul Barrera, um, Lil George. Mm-hmm. And Paul Barrera has died since, very sadly. But they reunited on the riverboat in new orleans for the jazz and heritage festival so the only time i went to the jazz and heritage fest it happened to be little feet on the river boat was one of the shows and charlie brusco i believe was the one who got us tickets and deborah garner good friend of mine and i were on that river boat when the reunion happened and these tickets were just hot hot tickets bonnie great was there um uh, Jimmy Buffett was there. These people were getting up on the stage with these guys because it was the first time they were playing live together in front of a crowd again. Yeah. And at some point of all people up on the stage comes Ed Bradley, Ed no. Bradley from 60 minutes. Yeah. And he is playing tambourine and playing some percussion stuff. And I'm like, Oh my God, I love Ed Bradley. And what is he doing up on stage with little feet? So fast forward about a year and Little Feet comes to Atlanta and this is the first time I'm getting to interview them ever. And they come in and it's the whole band and we're talking and I said, I've got to tell you, I saw you on the riverboat. And they were like, they were thrilled. So that just opened up a whole thing. And they're, they love talking about that because it was their first show. And I'm going, Oh my gosh, I'm funny. Ray and Jimmy Buffett up there with you. And I'm like, but Ed Bradley, tell me about Ed Bradley. (laughs) 
And so we start talking about Ed and they're like, oh, he's been a fan forever. And he's just a great guy. He's really, really cool. And we take a break and in comes the person from the front desk with one of the pink little tickets saying a message. Ed Bradley is trying to get a hold of you. No. Yes. So here I am with little feet. He's driving up 75 or 85 or somewhere. He is listening to my radio station, 96 Rock. He's hearing us talk about him. And so his mind is blown. Our minds are blown. I thought it was a joke at first. And we call and it's Ed Bradley. And he was doing a story on Anna Wakey. Remember that? It was like some kid's school. It was a really rough. He didn't even tell us at the time what it was. Yeah, he said, I can't talk yeah. about it. But we knew later on that that's what it was. There was. Just wow. Something. What a great story. So Ed gets on and I have all this audio of all of us talking. And it was just one of the most amazing moments that you realize that you just have no idea who you're reaching and who you're touching. But isn't that crazy? Unbelievable. Katie, we got to post really we got to post that audio on the site if you're oh, willing I'll tell to you what, cough I, it up. I have it. I can get it really easily. Awesome. It, was, it was very, very precious. So yeah. that kind of thing is going on in that radio station. You got just an incredible group of talented individuals there and you're owned by J-Core. Which, you know, had a reputation of just being this wildly creative and competitive and unpredictable company with Randy Michaels involved, who was crazy as they come like a fox. I mean, he was a very smart, is a very smart radio guy. And then they sell the radio station. So what was that atmosphere like in the building? I got to tell you something. Embarrassed to say this almost. I, um, I got out. I got out when that started. Um, It was very, um, it was just, we could feel something coming down at the time. It wasn't good. And um, so I can't, I don't even know if you want to continue with it, but I didn't, I didn't, I, he literally came and took over and they took us all into a room and they were like, uh, this is what we're going to do. And that's, and we were all like shell shocked. We were all, it was like salespeople, all the jocks, everybody. And we were all just like, what does this mean? And uh, at the time, I well, somebody else was kind of reaching out to me, and it was it was Z ninety three, and so I, I I sort of that was one of the that was a big change for me. I never ever dreamed I'd leave ninety six rock, but that's what happened with me there. So I there are other people that could tell you better stories, maybe, but probably not that original group of uh, ninety six rock. That was a great bunch, great bunch. Oh my gosh, they yeah. were. They yeah. were, and I, they we're still great friends, yeah. still great friends. There's, there's a camaraderie with a group like that. And all of us have that at different stations. Um, oh yeah. And you it's do. wonderful. You you're, you're, yeah. you're brothers and sisters. You really are. Yep. So and you never, I mean, I think back there, you know, back in the day, and I mean, I kind of hate to be like that, but back then it was, you had a little more freedom. And I think that taking those chances and having a great time, you all learn to trust each other more. It, there was no competition between yourselves at all. I mean, I really feel like we all wanted each other to succeed. And um, we just had a ball. I, I said in, in something that they did about 96 Rock, I'm like, this isn't brain surgery. It's rock and roll. It's radio. It shouldn't be brain surgery. This is fun. It's fun. You know, what a joy. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, some people um, 
who maybe don't understand the inner workings, uh, they'll label a station like 96 Rock. Well, that was a Burkhardt Douglas station or Burkhardt Abrams. You know, they were totally yeah. controlling. But it, it sounds like you you guys really did have freedom and, and, and you were you did have input. And, hey, there's nothing wrong with playing the hits. There's nothing wrong with playing no. the right music. You know, no, you know, the thing about being in the city where Burkhart Abrams and Douglas, you know, I, I didn't deal with them at all directly. Not at all. Dwight hired me later on. And I was like, "Ooh, thank you, because I needed to make a move at this point in my life. And that was very funny because I did not know Dwight at all, only from what people would say. So it's kind of like I, I think they maybe purposely kept that hierarchy away from us. So that we we weren't thinking like that, you know. We knew what the memos meant or whatever, but it was it wasn't like that. It wasn't like um, nowadays that it's 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 different, you know. Yeah, it is. It's business, yeah. And different. So they kind of kept that part of it away from us. Yeah. So Dwight was the PD at Z ninety three when that that hired you. Wow. Yeah, and so he he reached out to me, and I wasn't. I was happy at 96 rock and within weeks, what you're saying, what you were talking about of J core coming in. Um, he just said, if you ever, ever change your mind, let me know. <laughs> and very quickly, I was like, I think I might be changing my mind. And he was like, well, well, let's make this happen. Here so we go. It was, yeah, it was a pretty amazing um, thing for me because I, it was a very difficult thing for me to do. And I remember talking to my parents about it. Just like, I don't want to leave this, great radio station and my mom was said we didn't raise you to be afraid of making changes you know of changing wow. and so that was a very very hard decision for me to make good and, on mama yeah, it, yeah well you know what because then i go to z93 and it's like mara and i become like such great friends i mean to this day she's one of my best friends it's like you just don't unless you put your toe into other waters you don't know what's out there waiting for you and, and i love those people I love those people that I went to work with, too. I, I told Mara when we did a podcast with her, too, um, I, I didn't do a whole lot, you know, looking back at during my time. I wasn't in Z93 very long, but I was the PD who hired Mara Davis. I hired that girl. So that is, that is my one feather in that cap, in the Z93 <laughs> no, cap. Yeah, more than that feather. <laughs> but you know what? That's one of the biggest feathers you've got because, my goodness, you know, where was she at the time? Was she in Florida or was she in Boston? She was in Boston. Okay. Yep. So she, yeah, I mean, my goodness, seriously, that was a good move. I got her out of the cold. You got her out of the cold. You got her to where she met her husband, and she's raising her child, and it's it's just a. And great. she's had quite a career too. She sure has, yeah. And that's a person that hasn't been afraid, and that you know when these changes come down that you have no control over. That's the thing; you have no control over this stuff. If big, huge businesses want to buy you and change you and make you, uh, what is ninety six rock now? It's some. I don't know what the format is, but it's nothing like what it was. And I don't even know how you blew up 96 Rock. How does that station get blown up? Who was thinking there? I mean, seriously. Yeah. yeah. So with that kind of stuff, you have no control over. And so the fact that Mara had no control over what was happening at Dave FM and that flipping format to sports and blah, blah, blah. She's created her own niche and she is kicking butt. I mean, it's just, it's really wonderful. You can't be afraid of that stuff. But it's harder and harder in this day and age to um, kind of parlay that radio that yeah. we've all known and loved into something else. You have to be really brave. 
do you and Merritt, I didn't really talk about this, but do you feel I mean, you were the, the, the first really big afternoon drive female on the air here. Do you feel like the opportunity doors are open now more for women? Are you are you relatively comfortable with where the business has gone? I am. I am. I didn't feel like, you know, I got to say something. Sometimes I feel like people are, are very. Um, they're just too easily hurt by things. Right. And I always felt like, and I look at like a Monica Kaufman too. That's, that's my person that, I mean, I really give her all this credit more full circle now. I mean, she was at Cox when I went to Cox and I was so excited. I'm like, Oh my God, now I'm with you. This person that gave me this career. Seriously. I feel like you women, women, blacks, uh, gays, anybody, you've got to forge your path and not be afraid and not blame the world for what's going on. If you want to be successful in this kind of business, for sure. And I see women doing it at WSB. I think, I think there's definitely room for more of it. Probably I would think in that kind of a situation, um, because I think women talking are very interesting or even women talking to men are very interesting. And I think that there's probably a wide open place there. I think that's something that Mira probably talk to you about but aside from that and especially with music i there are tons of women over at cox and i think women also do very well on television i've noticed that too that they do very very well on tv but i i never felt like there were huge things that i couldn't overcome being a woman in this business and i just didn't have that experience and maybe it's because i had it strong men in my life with my dad and my brothers but I, I just felt like if I if I couldn't go through that way, I'd pick another way to go through. Well, and you were not only a pioneer, but pretty darn successful pretty fast. So that kind of helps, <laughs> you know. Well, yeah. And I, and I don't even know. Like what I say is that it, uh, it's it's kind of if you are genuine, if you're yourself and especially like when you interview, like the way you're speaking to me right now, you're asking me questions. So I'm talking more than you are, but you and I would have a very great conversation because I love to listen to, I love to hear about people's histories and life. And then to talk to your favorite musicians and to find out why you wrote a certain song or to listen to their new music and go, how on earth. And they appreciate that. They appreciate it when you know them real well. And you could, it's, it's, it's a lot about, listening. I don't know what my secret sauce was, but I, I just feel like I've been very blessed in this business. And I've certainly worked hard and, um, you know, show up and, and get along with both my bosses and my coworkers. I think that's a thing that I've noticed that some people don't get as long along as well with their bosses sometimes, you know, but um, I, I, I'm not sure what my success was about and how it happened so quickly, but I'm sure happy and grateful for it. In, in listening to what you're saying, though, one thing that and then I got a, a couple of other questions for it. But one thing that keeps coming up is passion for the music. And I think it was always clear that you were like really into what you were doing. You enjoyed it. You loved it. We knew that as listeners. And, and that goes a long way, long way Well, so. and to be able to live it a little bit. Yeah, you know? I mean, that's what's kind of crazy to yeah. be on a Learjet with Robert Plant was like, I, I, oh, my God, you know, I could I was trying not to act like an idiot. And and yeah, I mean, that's like the passion is certainly there. And I'll tell you something, too. I am not I think brain surgery is more morning shows. OK, so when I talk radio about what I do, when I look at morning shows that click and click really well, that is another whole thing. 
because I did mornings for eight years at the river. Just those hours were, I mean, I got breast cancer like within the first year and I'm like, I'm not sure that that didn't have to do with me not sleeping. And that, I mean, I'm not kidding. I think those hours are just not normal at all and how certain people live those hours for so many years like they do and go on and and (laughs) to be successful at it is pretty incredible. Those moving pieces, I, I just have to say how much I respect a real true morning show. That is really something else. That's tough. Yeah. Yeah. I've, oh, yeah. I've had to do it sometimes. I got thrown in there when somebody sicked out and boy, I hated it. <laughs> just, really? I'm not a morning person. No. Let me, let me ask you about the, um, the, some of the charity work you've done. Um, and, and I'm, I'm really interested in the, in the Eric Beverly foundation because that's a, a breast cancer charity. And, and you've always been good about giving back even before the, breast cancer diagnosis, but, you know, that's something that you're very involved with and I know passionate about. So what, what is the, what's the role of those guys? The role is, well, first of all, I feel, I feel like um, because of what we do and because we are so blessed doing what we do, got to give back. That's got to be part of your, what you do every day. And um, the Eric R. Beverly Foundation we were Eric's wife. Eric played for the Detroit Lions and the Atlanta Falcons. And his wife had breast cancer three times. And the third time she was pregnant. This is a young woman. And I met her because I was going through my little ordeal. And we were asked to, to model. There was, a, there was a fun luncheon. And she and I were modeling together. And I got to know them a little bit. Eric would go in with her for that. And when they realized I was in radio and that I had a, a, a mouthpiece, they asked if I would be involved. And I was right away just like, yes, I'll do whatever you need me to do. Because what they do is provide money and care and love to families that are a little more destitute. These are people that can't even figure out how they're going to go and be treated for breast cancer, mostly single moms. Um When I realized what I went through and that I had every great, that my insurance from work was great. I had this family and these friends all around me. And I I just had every possible means of positive enforcement, you know, reinforcement really to get through it. And there are so many people that don't. And when I realized this is going to the really core of patients at Grady Hospital and Danielle was treated there and she said, uh, Eric is such a big guy, you know, this football player. And he was sitting in one of their seats and waiting for her while she was having chemo. And he said, honey, when we're done with this, we are going to buy a bunch of new chairs for Grady for all these people. So they could sit. And when they went to them and said, we'd like to donate this, they were like, "Um, thank you for saying that. But what we really need is a lot different than comfortable chairs. And that's what got them going. And then I thought, I'm in, I'm in with you. And it's a very grassroots group. And I feel uh, their, their money is so well spent and the people that volunteer for them are just lovely. And so that's the thing that matters to me, where the money goes and how, it, how it's spent. So it, two questions. I know they have a website. They now, do. Now's the time to throw it out there, Katie. Beverlyfamilyfoundation.org. And question number two, because you told me you had three stories. We've only gotten to one and we're running out of time. Is the other one. 
Oh, so we got so we got two. So we still have one. One and a half. <laughs> yeah. So can we redo uh, do this again sometime and finish the Katie Kylie story on Atlanta radio? I would love to do I that. I would be honored. I would be honored. And then I'll have a few questions for you if that's okay. Oh dear. <laughs> Hey, this has been great. I, I've so enjoyed talking to you. I'm such an admirer of, of everything that you've been able to accomplish. Uh, I love seeing people like you grow and thrive, and you certainly have done that. Um, well, and I got to tell you, you being in the position that you've been in and leading groups of people like I've been, it's a really special thing. And the fact that you have led some of my very favorite people in radio, they adore you. And so that's saying a lot about Well, you. thank you. That's awful nice. And and we will uh, we will do this again. I've I've enjoyed it. And uh, I'm Dennis Winslow. This is Katie Kiley. And we here are all friends of Georgia Radio. Absolutely. Thunderpunk.